Welcome to Hop To It. Hey, Trey. Hi, Nay. Are you ready? Ready for what? To pack our house, take our dog, and hop in the car. We got a car. Don't worry about it. It's time to go. Let's go explore and find a new city to call home. Because we are Nay and Trey. The alchemist and the shaman. And it's time for us to hop hop to to it. Now that we're on the cusp of this journey, I'm finding myself asking how we're going to know if we've found home. What do you think home is, Trey? I think home is not a place. Home is really just about the people, like the period of life that's spent in that place. I kind of liken it to a comet that just grows in size as it travels and like people and things in a place just start to become part of our universe really just becoming our home. I love that idea of a comet picking up debris in space. (laughs) I don't know if debris would count, but that's a really... Ice crystals and such. (laughs) Yeah. And when you're in a place, you kind of start picking up memories and you start picking up friends. That's That's a cool analogy. It really resonates. I know we have different views of community that we should share with friends. And I think for both of us, though, community is a big part of what makes up a home. Um, Mm -hmm. for me, it's really about being near the people who I love and who love me. That makes home for me. But I found that as the years have gone by, our family has spread out all over the world. I mean, we have family everywhere. And so that makes it really hard to say, yeah, I have a hometown. I have a place I'm from because there's really no one single town where it's just full of people I know and love because they're everywhere. So I guess right now my home is wherever you, not to be too sappy, but (laughs) you and Oscar, Oscar, I have to add Oscar into that. Definitely our dog Oscar. Yeah. So I guess sometimes I think that for me, home by necessity includes more traveling than staying in a fixed place because otherwise, how am I going to see everybody who I love? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like for me, community's a place, well, ditto to what you said, but it's also a place where I feel comfortable, uh, where I can express myself, relax. You know, it's like I should feel safe. I want my neighbors to be friendly, you know, welcoming at least, you know, (laughs) or neutral. Yeah. Neutral at least. Right. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So it's like if I can get to see my friends and my family and all those other criteria are filled. Yeah. That's a good community for me. Yeah. Um, So I think we agree that community is important to both of us wherever we end up finding home. Um, One thing I've been really reflecting on lately is how important it is for me to feel awe every day. I don't know if that sounds needy or entitled or something, but... (laughs) No. These (laughs) are basic needs, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just find myself, um, like we've seen quite a number of neighborhoods where there's just cookie cutter houses and strip malls and, you know, you have to drive everywhere and it's just like uninspired and, you know, you drive out of your driveway and down a sad little road and go to a strip mall and get your groceries and maybe get your nails done or whatever. It, It depresses me. Like. That doesn't feel good, (laughs) but what does feel good is those neighborhoods where you can walk out your door and 
be surrounded by flowers and cool parks and you know walk up a hill and get a view and maybe see the sunset Berkeley is definitely known for those things yeah uh, pointed them out to me when we first got there for sure that's true Berkeley was really good at that I kept finding little surprises in those neighborhoods and and it made me realize I want I want natural beauty around me I want a sunset every evening I want great trails beaches parks neighborhood pathways uh, just the cool details that make a place unique and something that's like has some life in it and that allows me to go back home and you know into the actual house the abode and do you know better art writing and and other things yeah that awe into inspiration for sure and it sure would be nice to kind of mix that natural beauty with affordable home prices right like yeah I'm totally ready to buy a new place to live in. I want to add like alternative energy, solar, wind power, hydro. I actually realized when I was studying this originally that it's good to have a backup Mm -hmm. of uh, sustainable energy. So yeah, we can do solar, but to be truly kind of sustainable, it's good to have a couple different sources, right? So what do we do when the clouds cover the sun? Mm -hmm. So it's probably stormy, have some uh, windmills or something like that. So A lot of the stuff still needs to be built up for our culture, but yeah. So these all add to price. Unfortunately, anytime we want to save the earth, we have to pay a few more dollars. And that's the price I'll pay 30% premium Mm -hmm. on a normal item if it's going to save the world. It feels a little backwards though, doesn't it? Oh, always. (laughs) But money drives choices in this current Mm -hmm. society. So we got to live in the structure that we have around us, right? Yeah. I love so, the idea of the solar-powered, wind-powered, hydro-powered combo home. I don't know if I've ever seen a house like that. Right? But I would and love to. <laughs> if people out there know of it, definitely give us some examples. You know, mm-hmm. um, I heard this from friends and in my research, so somebody had the idea. Thank you, Maurice. <laughs> but it's really time for me to stop being a landlord in Fort Collins. I've been renting the house that I bought uh, before we, well, wow, we mm-hmm. met. Sorry, not before we met, but. Yeah. You actually helped me pick out that house. Yeah, you bought it right in the dep- the recession, the Great Recession. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, everybody told me I was crazy. Don't buy a house. The prices are only going to go further down. Yeah. And I actually bought on the bottom. Oh, whoop, whoop. I Intuition. Know. Don't brag. Don't brag. <laughs> I mean, I can brag if I want, right? If I do something good, that's what I'm going to do. So, I'm proud of you. Um, I was proud of myself because everybody told me it was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, It sounded like a bad decision, but 2010 made it happen. So point is time to sell that house and make it a financial investment for the future and Mm -hmm. have a home where I can build more dreams, you know, change it as I see fit. That house is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I had a 20 foot by 20 foot garden that DJ and everybody really helped me out with a lady I work with gave me some manure from our alpacas. I mean, I worked it and loved it. That was an amazing garden. It was. I loved it tomatoes kale I learned what things look like when they come out the ground so then I bring that to Berkeley and I see that Berkeley has rosemary growing as landscape Mm -hmm. there's peppermint everywhere we talked about this before but check it out the awe in Berkeley was great but again these home prices where can I afford to Mm -hmm. buy something that I can turn into a sanctuary yeah sanctuary is important to me too but Still, I can't help but admit I want to travel a little while. 
I'm I'm realizing I might be a little scared to buy a place. Uh, it's just such a big responsibility. And another thing is that nowhere seems really safe to me anymore. I hate to say this. I feel like a little bit of a downer here, but I'm afraid like a house could just burn down to the ground in an instant. And this is where we're just being vulnerable, right? Like we aren't, we're trying to describe these fears for people, but mm-hmm. just understand like this isn't the only thing we think about every time. <laughs> That's true. I do think about it quite a bit because a lot of the communities that I know and love have burnt or flooded in the past less than a decade. So remember in 2013, that was the year we got married and we were married in August of 2013. And then in September, 2013, a, what they called it like a hundred year flood, uh, came into the front range of Colorado. It took down my childhood town of Jamestown, washed away half of that town. It, the place we were married, which was called the Aspen Lodge, um, we were married on that hill. Remember, it was a beautiful view of Pikes Peak. But that flood took down that entire hill, the hill that we were married on. And when we say took down, it was a mudslide. Yeah. So it literally, the whole side came down. It was a goner. But um, Master Chen, who owns Aspen Lodge, uh, rebuilt the place. Uh, yeah. He also married us, or he oh, officiated yeah. the Master wedding. Chen yeah, Master owned Chen owned the lodge. Yeah, that's right. He was our officiant. He was yep. amazing. Um, but he rebuilt the place. It's, it's called the Dow House. Very yeah. cool name. I yeah. love that. I would love to see it. I haven't seen it since it got rebuilt. And then, you know, so that happened, which is really strange to have your childhood home washed away at the same month or the same event that your the hill you got married on is gone. And then we, you know, moved to Berkeley and fires after fires after fires. And we've gone through some horrific smoke seasons. Luckily for us, we haven't been impacted by the wildfires directly. But yeah. Um, and it's interesting because like we haven't been impacted directly. We did not have our house burn, nor did we have to change how we went to work. But every year I was acquiring more and more disaster gear yeah. living in California. So I have masks for this. Yeah. I understand the lingo. Yeah, we have our fire masks, which are not the same as our COVID masks. Amen. <laughs> Got to know the difference. Yeah. And then remember last August 2020, the day that Mars went retrograde. This is some astrology knowledge. The entire sky was overcome by a plume of smoke so tall that it turned the sky red. And it was like darkness for an entire 24-hour period. And just for everybody... Retrogrades of planets are when the planets appear to be moving backwards. It's a visual effect, not a physical thing. So when Mars goes into retrograde retrograde in the sky, it actually looks like it's traveling backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a heads up. So all of these catastrophes, climate change inspired catastrophes, um, have got me a little bit shy about buying a house. I'm going to admit it. And even most recently, December we had the devastating fires in Boulder County. Again, that's an area I know very well because that's where I grew up. And a thousand structures were burnt in yeah. that fire. Devastating. So, yeah. There's a lot of devastation. I mean, who can count 
exact numbers because one or a thousand, it doesn't ever matter because if you're that one, mm. if you're that point zero 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 one percent, it's devastating. So yeah. we're not here to count numbers. We're more just to recognize the fact that Mother Nature, you know, father, son, time, all that kind of stuff <laughs> is just uh, uh, maybe trying to go for a reset. Who knows? Yeah. So it's a, it's a strange time to think about rooting and buying a house because I guess if a rental house burns, it doesn't seem to me that's as high of stakes for me, obviously for whoever owns the property it is, but I guess maybe this just gets to like a core fear. I don't want to commit to something because I'm afraid to lose it. You didn't mention the tornado that you saw from the window of the Fort Collins apartment (laughs) over on Davidson. That was, I was at work. There was a storm warning and uh yeah you had to shelter in place yeah and that's another thing communities have been devastated by tornadoes recently and you're right i remember that was a big wall of debris out of your kitchen window and it was spiraling (laughs) i've never seen anything quite like that before since and i sat in your bathtub you were at work and i was huddled in your back bathtub talking to my coworker at the time yeah. Saying, you know, hey, it's been really fun working with you. <laughs> I was talking to my coworkers as we were huddled under desk yeah. in different areas, just trying to be as safe as possible in the same city while Windsor was devastated. Yeah. So, oh, all right, we got to bring this up. This is getting dark and doomy and gloomy, but it's it's real, and I think it's something that's on a lot of people's minds. But, um, you know, I do want to find a home and. I think part of this journey that we're on right now is helping me to prepare for that. And I'm, I'm really excited about the journey. I'm excited too. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be fun. I have a feeling that the right home is going to arrive when the time is right. And I'm looking forward to that. So in trying to identify home, let's talk about what home has been in the past. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing I always like to think about is to tell where you're going or where you're headed. It's good to see where you've come from. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, while I was young growing up, we moved every couple years. My mom got promotions um, and she worked in the transit authority. And so in transit, you only really have really good transit in big cities. So when she got a promotion, it was usually to another big city. So I always called myself not a military brat because even though <laughs> I have ancestors in the military, I was more of a corporate brat. We just moved from place to place. So I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, actually never lived there. My mom was pregnant while she was attending Howard University, a prestigious HBCU. Yeah, your mom is amazing. Definitely. I, she's an inspiration. Hugs to all moms, especially <laughs> mine. She gets the biggest. And then for eight years, we lived in Texas, Houston, Texas, while I was growing up before my parents were divorced. And then I lived a bit in Galveston, Texas with my great grandma, Cora Lewis. I would spend many summers, went to some grade school, freshman year of high school and my sophomore year of high school at Father Ryan in Nashville, Tennessee. Dallas, Texas, I went to grade school there. A friend of mine, Caleb, was so awesome, super fun. We play video games all the time. Brooklyn, New York, lived there in the 80s. Oh my gosh, this was the most home I felt growing up. New York pride is real. Mm. That place just 
brings a flutter to my heart for sure. Yeah. You talk a lot about that era. It obviously was really meaningful to you. It resonated. I got to see Michael Jackson film in bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to see Spike Lee film and do, do the right thing. Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, not personally got to shake their hands, but they closed down the block and we're all like checking it out. It was just electric. Wasn't that Michael Jackson video or the live event? Weren't you in the audience that got captured on camera or what was that event? Oh, I was over. So we're, that's in, when I lived in New Jersey in Guttenberg, New Jersey, I won a prize to actually be in the background of a Nirvana video. Oh, Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. So when David Grohl was sitting there drumming in the Nirvana uh, videos, Polly, a bunch of stuff, MTV had us in the background. I skipped school that day. It was my senior year. I headed over to New York City and, oh my God, it was so dope. And then I got a broken uh, drumstick from mm -hmm. David Grohl because he oh just like gosh. threw it in the back, gave that to my friend Tom. Uh, it was just beautiful. <laughs> and you can tell me if you see it in high quality because I can't see it on YouTube. I had a 11 foot scarf that my friend Tom's <laughs> grandmother knitted for me. And I love Doctor Who. So I still have the scarf to this day. Um, she's passed. Thank you so much. But you can notice me right behind David Grohl sitting there. Oh, it was beautiful. I yeah. have to say that if I had known you back then, I probably would have had a major crush on you. Oh, yeah. I was a skater. All the things. <laughs> had the Going to Nirvana dreads. shows, getting a David Grohl drumstick. I don't know about the Doctor Who thing. I probably could have overlooked that. You're just <laughs> weird enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Amen. So that was actually when I lived in Guttenberg, New Jersey for my uh, junior year and senior year of high school. It was just like being in New York, but across the Hudson. And then after high school, moved up to Fort Collins, Colorado to go to Colorado State University. I actually applied for Berkeley hmm. and got denied. And then I got a full ride or yeah, full ride scholarship to Colorado State. Oh, so wow. yeah, that was really cool for academics. But my daughter was born in Fort Collins, and so I tried to stay there, even though it was a mismatch of cultures, East Coast, big city, going to a small town uh, in the West, and constantly tried to leave until she was born at Poudre Valley Hospital and mm -hmm. stayed. So stayed there for 21 years. Wow. Yeah. But while I was in college, before my daughter was born, I would go to college breaks in Washington, D.C. I got to see the Million Man March right outside our window. Oh, um, wow. Got to see Memorial Day celebrations, you know, like a moment of silence for the veterans. Mm. Uh, I have some family members that are veterans. And mm -hmm. I will never forget when Memorial Day is because D.C. is the center and the pulse of the nation, right? Uh, lived in Sacramento, California for a little bit for college breaks. And then went to Pawtucket, Rhode Island, right? Uh, brief stay with my ex-wife while she was pregnant with my daughter at the time. Mm -hmm. Lived in Des Moines, Iowa for about a year, working at a pawn shop, starting that up, uh, and then in Berkeley, California. So I've lived in a bunch of places. Mm -hmm. And as you can tell, home can be anything for me. And I always say I'm just from nowhere. Or you're from everywhere because I just counted 11 different states. Oh, that I you've never lived counted. <laughs> awesome. 11 states. And I have to say, you and I, we have polar opposite experiences. I'm really, truly from Colorado. There's no question that's where I'm from. It's my foundation. And I've lived many different versions of myself in Colorado. I was born in Boulder, Boulder community, same place my daughter was born, in fact, you know, 
20 Colorado. years later. <laughs> Big shout out to Colorado hospitals. <laughs> yeah. My mom was a nurse there forever. So huge shout out to Boulder community hospital. Um, and then I lived in Jamestown, Colorado, which I mentioned was a place that got flooded in 2013. But when I was growing up, it was a tiny mountain town, about 800 residents. And we lived right on the river. And I spent most of my childhood running around in the woods trying to get lost intentionally. My best friend, uh, Jessica, she and I would pack little backpacks, like little child-sized backpacks with Kool-Aid packets, squirt cans. Um, We had like a few dollar bills, our life savings. And we would literally walk out into the woods and try to get lost. Oh man, that sounds like a parent's nightmare. (laughs) I don't know what my parents were thinking. They didn't seem to mind, which is great because this was really foundational to who I am today. Um, And I remember we would run into little dogs. They belonged to people, but we would pretend they were strays. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be like, oh, hey, little puppy, let me help you. Ooh, you look like you have a broken broken leg. And lo and behold, you know... (laughs) get Oscar as an adult and he was a little puppy with a broken leg when I got him so yeah. I manifested that reality yeah. <laughs> my childhood dream come true I know our uh, friends and family know a bit of the story but Oscar was a rescue we were uh, yeah. doing fostering yeah we were fostering he was our third dog and yeah. I said to the foster no puppies and no dogs with health problems. I just want down on their luck dogs. That's what I asked for. And so naturally when they called me and said, we have a four month old puppy who has a broken elbow and needs bed rest and a lot of a care attention and care. Are you available? I said, yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I pick him up at the uh, shelter and he's gimping around. He's got his little leg up cause he can't use his front right leg. And he f- started following me immediately. He's never stopped following me. Amen. <laughs> and it's interesting. That was all Naomi. Trey is not a dog person. I am growing to be dog friendly. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've made strides. I made a lot of strides. Thank you, Nay. So after Jamestown, my wildness, you know, I didn't brush my hair. I didn't wear shoes most of the time. I wear hand-me-downs. I was a very odd child and... Uh, when we moved to town, uh, my family moved us to Gun Barrel, Colorado. That is truly the name of the neighborhood. It's right outside of Boulder. That's where you were when I met you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like a fish out of water. I did not know that people brushed their hair. I did not know that people wore brand name clothes. I did not know that there were many cultural norms that I was not subscribed to. And so I had to learn. Um And from there, you know, I floated around Boulder County, lived in Boulder, Lafayette, Gumbrell, again, probably two or three times. And finally, you and I got married and I moved out of Boulder County for the first time ever to Fort Collins. Big move. And we stayed there two years together before I got the job in Berkeley and we moved our whole family out to Berkeley. Yep. Packed up then, told everybody goodbye. I had worked at the water district for 11 years as their tech person. And uh, yeah, we hit the road, kind of like we did uh, (laughs) just recently. Yeah, true. Although we had one destination that time. Um, So, yeah. What about Europe? Oh, what about Europe? That 
is an appealing idea to me because my daughter lives in France now with her husband. And when I think about what we require in a city, I think we could find more of what we're looking for in Europe. So why don't we go international now? I mean, most of our family, like immediate family in the United States, they're spread out. Yeah, like Colorado, California, Houston, Texas. Yeah. So what, you want to stay or should we leave? <laughs> well, you know, I've heard international visas are not easy to get, right? Like yeah. unless we found a job that allowed us to live internationally or like sponsored us, we, yeah. it would be hard to get a visa from what I understand. Yeah. And also we don't want to live out of one suitcase. It was hard enough to whittle our things down to a car. Very true. Very true. And then like time zones, like I work uh, tech support. And so like time zones would be really difficult trying to help people while working for an American company, right? Anything that's more than like three hours. Think of those. Yeah. Like, yeah. East coast, coast, coast. meetings. Oh, amen. <laughs> Thank you. Already that in the West coast. When I was taking East coast meetings, I was like, uh, I have to be up by six so I could get to this meeting at seven. <laughs> so you like amplify that by going over the overseas that's and then true. you have six plus hours. So yeah, there's some difficulties in international, you know, and also right now in our time, in our life, we have Oscar, who we've now introduced, and he cannot travel internationally at all. Remember when we sent Viper, our, the kitty cat, to France to live with my daughter? Yes, she had to get a kitty passport, and that required like a special visit and some extra money. Yep, we went all the way to Sacramento from San Francisco to a special vet to get a piece of paper that said she was a real cat. I don't know what that, that passport said. It was like, <laughs> Viper is a real cat. <laughs> yeah. And healthy. Um, and then my sister, I, I bought Viper this little carrying case and shipped her off with my sister, Shosh, who was traveling to Kenya. And she had a eight, I don't know, a few hour layover in Paris. So she brought little kitty cat all the way had a layover in Paris. I think Viper is my only pet that'll ever go to the Louvre, which is where they made the drop off. <laughs> we have pictures. That was cute. Yeah. So thinking about that, not to mention Oscar doesn't travel well in a car, much less a plane. So I think. No, but I'm sure Oscar would be happy to see Viper. <laughs> Maybe we can reunite them. I don't think so. <laughs> so true. He was traumatized by Viper. She owned him. Yeah. So Oscar's our emotional support animal. And Viper used to intentionally hunt Oscar, I would say. <laughs> like, show her constant dominance. And she was never bigger than Oscar, yeah. but maybe she was just more imposing. Or... She was more imposing. Yeah. And for probably a year after Viper moved to France, and she still lives there. She's a very happy French kitty now. Yes. But for a year, he would still look over his shoulder whenever he was eating because he was afraid Viper was right behind him. Amen. <laughs> she would just come and hiss at him. Oh, gosh. It was a household <laughs> comedy for sure. So it sounds like we're not going to make it to Europe now. And also, it sounds like we have a bit of a shamanic journey ahead of us. It's clear to me from this conversation that we want a lot out of a home. And we have some fears and stuff to process in order to make way for that home. So I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe 
we could create a rating and ranking system so we can compare all of the different places we're visiting? Sure. You know, that actually worked for us in the past when we were looking for apartments. Yeah, we've always made a list of things we wanted and compared it to what we saw, and that made it easier to make decisions. So how do we figure out whether a place that we visit is the right place for us when we only have a month? It's like, you can't really get to know a place in a single month. I think it, that process can take years. Well, my thought would be, if we don't want to leave after four weeks, then that's probably a good sign it should be home. And maybe if we somehow make friends in that short period of time, that would be a great sign. What would be in the ranking system? Well, for sure, the things we've talked about um, today, community being a big one, affordability, sustainability, weather, and natural beauty. And I'm sure there's more than that. Ranking each city using the same scoring system so that we can compare them at the end? Sounds like a good idea. And then we could maybe go to a new city every four to six weeks. Driving our new car, Luna. Making the trips between each destination kind of short. Yeah, we need to make sure Oscar's anxiety and your sciatica can handle the journey. Amen. <laughs> well, let's start by ranking Berkeley. It will be a great calibration as we evaluate new cities. Yeah, stay tuned. That ranking is coming next time. If you like us and want to hear more, please rate and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Bonus points if you tell two friends. You know how these things start. One friend tells another friend about us. And, and they, they tell, tell two, two friends, friends. And they, they tell, tell their friends. And so on and so on. Auntie Night and Uncle Troy have to it. La la la. Hey, Nay and Trey, go find the funny and hop to it. And now for a campfire story. The biggest decision for me was to become a Reiki master. I had a breath work. During that breath work, I was given a download, and the download was really to help and heal people. And so, one of the ways I thought I could achieve this was to become a Reiki master. That was something that popped in my mind. It seemed accessible, but it was expensive. So, did some research found this name, Wu Wei School. Didn't know what that meant at the time, but I was really drawn to it, so went ahead and applied, which required uh, sending in a little note about myself, and after that, getting approved to make a payment. So that was a really cool process, but it was a big payment. I remember being really apprehensive about spending four digits on something that I just didn't know anything about, really didn't know much about. But part of uh, my path is really following the intuition and seeing where that takes me, right? So fast forward now to April 2020, and we had a pandemic. Reiki attunements should happen in person. 
And unfortunately, the pandemic took that ability away. We were all in quarantine, but this incredible Reiki master, Bronwyn Isla, thank you so much, she pushed through. She found a way when there appeared to be no way. And she made an online Reiki attunement. I, I'm going to call it the first, because now that I am a Reiki teacher, I understand that it's a counterculture in Reiki to actually do uh, distance attunements. But she did it, and she did it well. And all of our cohorts and myself really appreciated that moment. It was so impactful, so beautiful, so real. And so it was nice to be able to start my 21-day journey through the Reiki attunement and really enjoy what that meant. Well, when that started, it was kind of interesting because I was beginning to have some trouble sleeping. And they do say like, oh, you know, when you have an attunement, there might be some uh, kind of clearing of the system or there could be some type of purge. Just things happen. Uh, toxins get processed. So I went ahead and just lived my life, but, or, you know, tried to do my day-to-day schedule. And what happened was I couldn't sleep and I was getting this extreme pain just developing every day down my right leg, starting at my hip and just going down the side and inside my leg, just down to my calf. And eventually I woke up and I couldn't walk and I had extreme pain and I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't sleep. This was about a week after the attunement. So I was like, what is happening? What had happened is I had a sciatic injury and I can only really attribute it to, I do software development. I sit in chairs all day, um, you know, had a few extra pounds like most Americans And none of this was really good. And I'm sure being quarantined didn't help because I was riding a bike before quarantine. I was trying to be more active, more healthy, lower my blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. And so that's all I can say happened. It wasn't like an accident, but I was actually temporarily disabled. So I could not walk. Um, There was pain on top of not being able to use my functional muscle, like my muscles. My disc had pushed into my nerve canal of the spinal uh, cavity and was pushing on my nerve so when I saw it after the CAT scan it was it was crazy and I felt it and everything was uncomfortable and you can just imagine if you've ever had uh, sciatica (laughs) sciatica my sciatica is acting up well it was and I couldn't walk Reiki is meditation the name Reiki is just Japanese form of meditation I'm oversimplifying it because I don't have that kind of time to explain, but you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to talk offline. But I had to do my meditations daily to keep myself in um, shape, uh, meditation shape. But that meant walking. That meant moving. And I had physical therapy exercises I had to do. that they would hope would improve because if it didn't improve they could do more tests to see where the damage actually was which I remember them describing that I don't like needles and they were talking about putting some long needles into the muscles and then attaching electrodes to them and firing those electrodes into the muscle and seeing where the nerves just stopped receiving 
the current. That did not sound pleasant. So I said, yes, I will do the physical therapy. So every morning I would do my physical therapy. After that, I would go actually record my meditations on YouTube. They're still up there. They'll always be up there as long as I'm around. Free to anybody. And so I'd go out there and I'd meditate, put it on YouTube, share it with the public. And I just did that day after day, week after week, month after month not really seeing any improvement immediately. The improvement was so gradual. It took months before the pain of just doing anything normal went away. Pain was my friend, pain was my guide, pain was my teacher. Now fast forward again to multiple Reiki attunements. I was on my final third Reiki attunement and I said, you know, there was an offer to do it remote or do it social distance, um, kind of in person. So I was like, you know what? I want to see these people. This cohort has been so special to me. Each of the friends, everybody was just beautiful. So I was like, I would love to see these faces. And we all know how quarantine has been um, now, <laughs> many months, over a year, going into two years later, right? So that really meant a lot. And I was gonna, I was gonna make it happen. I couldn't sit for more than two minutes. I could barely walk anywhere. <sighs> I just don't even know how to describe it. But I was gonna do it. And so I dressed, I dressed in my clothes. I put on my ceremonial garb. I grabbed my hiking stick, and I set to the Berkeley Hills. The Berkeley Hills are no joke. Let me just put it that way. Um. You have to see it to experience it, but it's the kind of place where you can open your door and just see the street right in front of you going up. And I just did it one step at a time, left foot in front of the other, pushing through where I needed to and resting when I had to. But I made it. I made it to that address. And when I got to the door, I had to take another moment because, you know, there was that fear like, oh, my gosh, OK, we're going to be social distance. But I want to make sure that, you know, my mask is on all these things. So I'm at the door making sure that I'm following the rules. And I look and I see the Osho Zen Tarot deck. And let me tell you, I hadn't seen that deck in decades. It had been easily 20 years since I had had my Osho Zen Tarot deck that I got from a Borders in Washington, D.C., near Pentagon City. I mean, I just remember it all vividly. And that deck was beautiful because it was non-traditional tarot. It was more like a elemental-based. It was really big about the colors and the elements and some shapes. Just beautiful. And so I just looked at that. And to have gone through that journey which I reflect on now and at that point realizing it was actually my shamanic journey. To sit there and reflect on that, it all just screamed, yes, Trey. It said, yes, you are doing the right thing. Even though it was hard, even though it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do since I was still recovering from this temporary disability, I did it. And the reward that I got from that to just know like, yes, this was it was beautiful like the downloads were coming it was incredible and so we did our attunement Bronwyn made an excellent space for us but to see those faces and feel that energy and to see 
you have to look at some of my pictures, but to see the view from the Berkeley Hills of San Francisco and the Bay, just incredible. So really it's to say that shamanic journeys, they do have a price tag, but they're not something that can be purchased. A shaman is created by accepting a choice. And in accepting that choice, we grow spiritually, we awaken something in ourselves, and we transform into what we need to be. Mm-hmm.